Hi guys, I'm Barb and welcome to Creators Campfire, a podcast where I interview all sorts of creative people, so entrepreneurs, content creators, side hustlers and aspiring talent, and I find out more about what they do, why they do it and how they do it. Before we get into today's show, I just want to say thanks so much for joining me for this episode. Be sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date with the latest episodes. You can also follow at Just Barbs on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to hear about guests in advance and stay up to date with guest news. On this week's episode, I caught up with Margaret Raffel, a web developer and freelancer. Margaret talks about the things she wishes she knew when starting out as a freelancer and talks me through a framework to use to set your pricing. We also talk about the mindset and soft skills required to be a freelancer and how to say no to clients. You can follow Margaret on either Twitter or Instagram at MargRafael or check out her YouTube channel. Links to everything are in the show notes. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Margaret, do you just want to give a bit of background into into yourself? Yeah, for sure. So I started, so I've always sort of, worked for myself. So I've never had a quote unquote, like real nine to five job. Uh, So everything I've done, I worked for myself. I was in uh, like the fitness and nutrition industry before this, but I moved into web development, I would say almost a decade ago now, it's got to be almost nine years. Uh, So almost nine years ago now, because I started working on, uh, I started working on a TV show when I was in like the fitness and wellness area. And then I did like a lot of the research and then the host started asking, Hey, hey, can you make these little updates to the website? Mostly because she just didn't have the time to. And then I was like, Oh my God, I get like immediate feedback from this. Like I put something in, it happens right away and I can see sort of the work that I've done. It gives me the immediate feedback. And I think right from then I was hooked because it was, it, I didn't have the, um, like I know from university and all that kind of stuff. It's always like you put in a lot of work and a lot of times you don't see the results right away. But I was like, oh my God, this feedback loop is so rewarding. So this is what I'm going to do. That makes um, sense. Yeah. Also knowing that the like websites weren't going away and the future is sort of in tech. So I knew that I knew that the path was pretty stable and, and career wise, I would, I would probably be okay. So I did that um, for, for myself for a long period of time. And then in 2016, I decided to scale up. So in 2016, I, I started taking on a team and we grew to the size of about seven or eight of us. I had like a, had an office downtown and all that kind of stuff too. But I also about, so that was 2016, about two and a half years later, I was like, the whole idea was to get away from the nine to five. And I feel like I had just rebuilt a different kind of nine to five for myself with like the offices and all of that. So I I decided to get rid of the office, go totally remote, and scale back down so I could work um, just with me. And uh, I do have two part-time developers that I work that I work for, or that work for me rather. And we uh, we work on like all-encompassing projects for companies, to- still totally web-based, mostly in Shopify, and really immersing ourselves into like into those companies, like when we take on the project and. Uh, the biggest thing was like, I really love supporting small businesses and helping small businesses make money. So I found that when we grew to a point of like seven or eight people, I sort of had to make that decision of like, do I grow bigger? Uh, but then I found even when I was growing to that level, it it took away that personal touch that I really liked. So that's when I sort of scaled back down again. And I was like, I really want to like dig in deep with these people um, get excited about their businesses. So that's where I'm at right now. And then I do, I really like it. It's interesting because everyone always talks about like growth and scale and all of that. And sometimes you've got a need to go through it to know that that's, that that's the direction you might not want to go. Um, and I think there's ways to scale in other ways as too. So I'm starting to, um, so that's where I am client wise. And then also starting to diversify things with creating more educational content more evergreen content for courses, 
uh, membership programs hopefully going forward too. So, so that's where I'm at. There's been like a lot that's happened along the way client wise. So I'm totally happy to dive into some like fun stories and stuff like that too, <laughs> and lessons learned and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. That's actually, I'm just going to pick up on one point there. That's quite interesting that, um, so where you said you kind of scaled and then went, oh, actually, maybe this isn't the right thing. Because I think you're right. A lot of people go into it thinking, actually, I just need to get bigger, 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 bigger. And it's like this whole kind of avalanche of things. Um, but being able to take that time back to say, hang on, well, why why did I start this in the first place? <laughs> this is kind of going in the opposite direction. Um, how can people kind of maybe know if they're heading in that direction? Is it just a case of I just need a conversation with myself or... Yeah, I think it's a combination of that. And then there's the other component of like, that's what society tells us what needs to happen. So there is sort of, it was, it's so interesting, because even though for my own sanity and mental health, I knew that scaling back was the right decision. But it's crazy, because the, the biggest thing I struggled with, with all of that was, well, what are other people going to think? Are they going to think that I failed? Are they going to think that I'm just doing this because I can't grow? Are they going to think that, well, I try doing it, I'm not good at it. And that's why I'm not doing it anymore. And yeah, like those are truthfully, like those are the things that really, that you had to really like, <clears throat> sorry, that I read to really sit with and be comfortable with. And realize that it's like, okay, not doing it for any of these other people. And if they have questions or if they have judgments, I just have to let it go. And it's so much easier said than done. Cause there's definitely like, even myself before I had experienced it myself, I know that subconsciously, if I saw someone that looked from the outside that they were growing and everything was going well and like growing and growing and growing over like very quickly over a two year period, I would be like, wow, they've like got everything together. Like, I can't wait to see the next stages, like, you know, buy out like a huge building and stuff and have like an enormous company. But um, and then if I saw them scale back, I would probably also be one of those people who had that judgment. But it's so interesting to experience because if you do go through it, the the interesting part is like you don't know you're not going to like it until you're in that position. Like I thought I would for sure love it and I was it actually surprised me more than anything that I just wasn't really into it <laughs> <laughs> but at least you had that realization mm -hmm. right and and you could actually because you're right actually it is a society thing and it's a oh what will people think so for you to actually take that step and say actually this isn't what I want and I'm okay with other people like thinking what they're thinking and I'm still gonna do this that's that's a huge step yeah for sure um yeah, and it's not easy, but definitely like having to sit down and and I feel like it's almost a lot of the times with people not necessarily strangers thinking that because like they don't know your story. But there's there's this component also of uh, I'm sure as you know, like entrepreneurship and sort of taking on new challenges in general. There's always and most often I would say the people really close to you that a lot of times don't think you're going to be successful at it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that. And it's, I mean, that's the thing too, is I feel like that going through an experience of scaling up and scaling down and knowing that there's people who never thought I was going to quote unquote, make it in the first place, it's almost becomes like vindicating to them to a certain degree. But it's so easy to get caught up in that and you just have to do like a there's a lot of sort of emotional work that goes into like that's cool I don't care because because I, <laughs> I ultimately want to be happy and there's other ways to scale it doesn't mean just because you're not scaling in like visible numbers and employees like at an exponential level uh, doesn't mean you're not you're still not scaling because um, maybe you cut back. I think the biggest thing for me is like after I cut back, the next year after that, I was actually more profitable because I didn't have as many expenses. Uh, I didn't have the overhead of an office and, and um, salaries and all that kind of stuff too. So things are not always as they seem, definitely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, just before we get on, I guess to the to the physical side of things, how much 
what do you think of some of the sort of mental skills, if you can call it that, the, the softer skills that are needed or the mindset that's needed, I suppose, when you're going into these kind of things? Because I, I guess like that, you need to be prepared for those those conversations along the way. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a few different a few different things. And like you were saying, when you're just starting out, um, especially when you're just starting out in freelancing, there's going to be a lot of a lot of people around you. And a lot of the times I try to frame it in that I give them the benefit of the doubt, because realistically, like, the reason people say things to you, like, I don't think this is a good idea, I don't think it's going to work. You really have to take a step back and look at where they are in their life. And that's not a judgment on them. It's just saying like, if they haven't gone down this path already, they don't know. And if they haven't gone down this path, and they are talking, they are telling you that it's something that you can't do. It's really just a reflection of their own limitations. And I know that can sound trite, and it's been said over and over, but it becomes so self evident over time that a lot of the people that are that can be the most critical are the ones that don't have, I guess the word is, I guess, guts, I guess the ones that don't have the guts to pursue it themselves. Um, so I think more than anything, really consider the source of your criticism, but also consider it like with a lot of empathy. Um, because I mean, these, these people are also doing their best. And I think a lot of times it comes from, uh, them genuinely wanting the best for you so they generally don't want to see you do something and then fail so they would rather kind of just tell you that maybe you shouldn't do it at all um (laughs) that being said there are i would say one of the biggest things is to surround yourself with people who have sort of walked that path before or at least a similar one and the really interesting thing is when you start to surround yourself with those kind of people they are the ones that no matter how crazy your idea is they'll be like okay this is a little out there but like how can we make it work and it seems and it becomes like super exciting and interesting to even just talk about like even if it's just like oh well I don't, and, and Bob, I don't know if you're like this as well, but it's like, I feel like every day is like coming up with a new idea for something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I find like, if you're, if there's, if there's people who aren't used to that sort of mindset, um, they're always like, oh, she's like, she, she's all over the place and this and that. <laughs> but, uh, but if you talk to your friends who are uh, like entrepreneurs, or if they're in that freelancing space, a lot of them times are, they're like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I love these ideas, but like, try to prioritize, like, let's do one first. Like, at least they're kind of a little bit more, a little bit more cheerleaders. Um, So as far as your own, like, just going back to your question, I kind of went off on a tangent a bit, but, uh, but going back to your, um, your question about like, what mindset stuff, I think it's just, it's like, it's a lot of work. There was a long time ago that I'm like kicking myself. Cause I'm like, why did I listen to these people? Like they don't, um, they don't know. And they don't know the ideas that are going in your head and they don't know like the processes that you've sort of mapped out to, to get where you want to go. Um, I, yeah, I don't know how else to explain it other than to like, you really just have to shut it out. And if you can gather the resources to at least start to take the first two steps, then there's something to be said also for like it's kind of politely declining their input and saying like well I didn't ask the other the other alternative which I do adopt a lot is like I which has actually worked to my detriment sometimes I don't tell anyone what I'm up to until it's at least like almost halfway done (laughs) all right (laughs) yeah so like no one really knows like what I'm up to until like, like oh I'm doing this thing but like this is already done and taken care of so it does eliminate I know it's exciting to tell friends about stuff but um if you if you think that the advice of other people can take you out then it's best to kind of keep it to yourself until it's until the wheels are in motion for sure yeah actually that's a really good point because yeah, I do come up with crazy ideas sometimes. And yes, <laughs> most of them are probably totally crazy. But I will get feedback that, you know, they're all crazy. You're doing like, too, like none of it makes sense. You're just, you are all over the place. And the amount of times I've heard that is like, okay, but there's, co- and then it kind of does 
get to you, you're like, oh, maybe I am a little crazy. <laughs> maybe I do need to scale it back. So yeah, actually, I think that's a really good point. And to maybe just know, because I guess it's a society thing, right? It's it's the normal nine to five is what is the norm. And therefore anything outside of that is a bit all dangerous ground. So be a bit careful. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah okay that's a very good point I definitely need to keep that in mind <laughs> um, uh, okay so going going back to I guess more practical rather than mental stuff um what are some of the things that I suppose you looking back now sort of 10 years ago you really wish you'd known starting on this journey yeah there's a few I think one of the big ones is how to recognize like who to say yes and who to say no to. So like really trusting that, like trusting your gut. And that might not even, trusting your gut might not kick in at first because then you, because you kind of have to be doing it for a little bit to get to know what the red flags are after a while. Um, so definitely trusting your gut as far as uh, taking on clients and saying no, because you are in a position to be able to say no. And that's important to keep in mind too. A lot of people, especially when they're first starting, kind of think that they have to take everything on and you don't have to. Um, there's definitely enough work out there for sure. Uh, so you don't, don't feel like you have to take everything on. So that's probably one piece of advice I would give myself. The other one is to um, definitely prepare for taxes, do some research. It's something, it's still so mind boggling that it's something that we don't, um, I know in North America, we don't learn about t- like taxes or anything in school. Do you guys? No, and it really, really makes me mad. So someone yeah. with a financial background, I'm like, how can you send people into the world? Like, they get to 18 and you send them off to uni and you're like, here, go and get into thousands and thousands of pounds of debt that we're not even going to tell you about. We're not going to teach you how to budget. We're not going to tell you what the world is like. But, you know, you've learned some maths along the way. So bye. And it just makes me so mad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so crazy. Unreal. So definitely definitely reading about educating yourself on uh, like taxes and personal finance. The other one would be to, um, if I can suggest coming from, it's hard to say, like, if you're starting to freelance to like, obviously switch directions, but it's hugely advantageous to coming from some sort of customer service uh, job as well. So I know I've never actually had like a, a nine to five job, but I have worked in like all through university and everything. I, uh, I worked at restaurants and I think the customer service aspect has been totally like invaluable. So I think that's been the biggest thing. So if you, if you have the ability to work in customer service, if you're still in university or even if you're in high school, um, I know I worked when I was in high school, I worked in like retail and at a coffee shop and stuff too. But, uh, yeah, being able to deal with and manage other people's emotions and not take them on. I think that's a big thing that just working in customer services has taught me for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to take them in turn there. So the, the first yeah. one. Oh. <laughs> about, yeah. Sorry, I had some questions as you were going. The first one about saying no. So obviously that's something that I think most people struggle with because of how it's going to be on the other person. It's just not, I suppose it's not a natural thing. You don't want to upset anyone or you, you know, you don't want to be the bad guy. So naturally our instinct is just to say yes and deal with it, especially the British. I, I assume the Americans <laughs> yeah. are probably not that much, but we, we definitely will just be like, Oh no, sorry. It's our fault. Um, but so how, how would you go about saying no or what are some of the techniques that you could maybe use or for someone who's not used to it at all, where do they kind of start? Yeah, that's a great question because saying no can be hard and sometimes it doesn't come out very eloquently and sometimes it's sometimes you're like stumbling over your words and sometimes but you got just have to get the practice in. So there's a few different ways to say no and definitely a few different ways to not say no, which I've also experienced. <laughs> so I would say if you if there's a project you don't want to take on, um I've used this before and it came back to bite me a couple of times. I think the worst thing you can probably say is tell them that like you just don't have time in your timeline right now. Um, <clears throat> Cause I have had that happen where it was somebody I definitely did not want to work with. 
And they were a referral from another client. And I was like, oh, we'll just tell them I'm booked up like until the end of the year. I think it was like around this time a few years ago. And I was like, oh, I'm just, I'll tell them I'm booked up for like four months and then uh, they won't bother me. Uh, so she wrote back. She's like, okay, I'll wait. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so, because once you've given them one reason, I mean, you like, there's been no exchange of money or anything. At that point, I really could have said like, look, realistically, it's not a good fit, but I didn't. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I have to take them on now. Um, so I did that and it was just, it was a, not a good match. And the project got completed, but it was, it was the client required, like, I made the mistake of giving her my uh, phone number, which I typically don't do with clients, but during a launch, sometimes I do just so they can have easy access if something goes wrong. But it was like every day, phone calls and phone calls. <laughs> oh. So, um, and there are the times I have said no and I've stuck with it. Um, the, the person has gone on. I've never heard from them again, which is, which is good. So, the way I try to frame it, because I know saying no can be really difficult, is like if you're not invested in the project and you're not interested in the project or you're not interested in the client, like working with the client, you're doing them a disservice if you say yes. So if you say yes to a project you're not invested in, it's not only are you not invested in it, but it's also not fair to the client. So trying to frame it in a sense of you're saying no because if you're not interested in it, you're doing what's best for the client so they can find someone who's a better fit. So I have said to clients before, the most effective way that they just can't really argue with is saying, like, I just don't think it's this is a good fit. Because um, <clears throat> if you say, if it comes down to time or money, they can always come back to you and say that they can give you more time or money. And sometimes projects are just not worth either one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely, definitely saying something simple and you don't need, I think the worst thing you can do also is get caught up in like a really long explanation of why, uh, like continuing and going on and on, but it's tough. I mean, it's almost like you or, or letting a client go who you're already working with. Like it's almost like a breakup. Um, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's just a matter of like a, some, a very simple email saying like, I don't think this is a good fit. And even better, if you do know someone, you can say like, I don't think this is a good fit, but I have this colleague such and such, and they do really, they've had experience in this before and they might, um, they might have a better, have a better time. Or if you don't have any colleagues or you kind of get a bad vibe and you don't really want to pass them on to someone you trust, you can always... <clears throat> tell them that there's like external services depending on what they need done. So there's external design services, there's like Upwork and stuff like that, where they can sort of publicly post their, uh, publicly post their job. And then, then it's up to people to seek them out if they want to work with them. But yeah, it's tough, but definitely if you can adopt the thought process of like, you're not doing them or yourself any favors. If you, if you take someone on, that's not that's not a good match because ultimately you want to be happy, but you also want them to find who the best person they can work with is for sure. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Cause I suppose we tend to see it from our side and just be like, Oh, I don't want to do it. No, no, no. But actually you're right. You, you're, you, you're not going to give them your, your all or your best work. So it, it's not good for either of you. Um, so yeah, you're doing them a favor as well. And yeah, yeah you could still give them other kind of resources to go to so actually it's not like ah no haha you suck <laughs> it's yeah. like okay hang on this, this isn't gonna work but maybe you could try x y and z mm -hmm. and I oh. find a lot of the time it's like they take that and they're like okay and then they kind of move on and then that's the end of it um but if there ha there has been times if they've come back and either they get really upset or they're like but this person referred me and all like the good thing is if they <laughs> I feel like the answer is good both ways. Either they go away, they find who they need, the job gets done and no problems. Or they come back and they're like, well, no, because you were like, this person referred me, I need this. And like, 
they come back with like all of these requirements, why you should work with them. That is a huge red flag. And it just red flag. It just means that you made the right decision. So yeah. <laughs> if they do, so it's like a win either way of their response. Really. That's a very good point. I wouldn't be like, Oh no, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, you did bring up another point actually, just when you said that, how, if you are already working with somebody and you realize along the way that it's not going to work and therefore you need to have that difficult conversation, how how do you approach that? Because that in my mind is infinitely more difficult because mm. you're not cutting it off at the source. You're kind of already working with them and you've built up that relationship and then all of a sudden you've got to go, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, there's definitely been some some difficult circumstances for sure. So there's been ones where, and it totally depends at like what phase this sort of happens at. So there's a bunch of different phases during the project. I did have one uh, that I had to, I had like, I was a little iffy about taking them on. And then I did because they were sort of a higher profile name. And I was like, oh, it'll be good for a portfolio and all that stuff. But once we started working together, it was very clear that I couldn't, um, I couldn't fulfill like the requirements that she wanted because um, the requirements not only were out of scope that kept increasing, but they were also out of um, the capabilities and also what, out of what made sense for the website. It was it was things like um, on the homepage, she after everything had been established, she wanted to now make the homepage when somebody first came to the website like that star wars scrolling text <laughs> right i was like but why that's terrible accessibility it's like it's wrong it's bad for a lot of reasons um she's like no i just really like it and i couldn't i couldn't separate like there there wasn't that sort of like usability logic so there was a lot of things like that that there was we just didn't see eye to eye on um, from a functionality standpoint as well. And I have changed almost my requirements that I tell clients up front because I do tell them, I'm like, look, I've been doing this for a long time. I know it works and I know it doesn't. I tell if I advise you some, that something doesn't work, like I highly encourage you to take uh, to take my feedback because you're hiring me not only as a developer, but you're also hiring me as an expert and as a consultant. So that's now I try to frame that up front so it's like blended into the role. So when they come in, they know that ultimately it's their project and they make the final decisions, but they do know that any decisions that I make or suggestions that I make are in the best interest of, <clears throat> they're in the best interest of like the success of the project. Um, so I did, so in that case, it was fairly early on, um, but one day I just had to say, I was like, I think it was the scrolling text that was like the deal breaker when that came up. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't move forward with this. I can't move forward with these kind of demands this early on because it's only going to escalate from here. So um, my deposit is usually non-refundable, but if it's early enough along in the process and I don't think it's a good fit, I do give them the deposit back in good faith. So I wrote to her, I was like, look, um, I don't think this is, I don't think it's a great fit. We don't have the, we're not on the same page as like what's going to best, best benefit the user and all that stuff. Um, I can give you some referrals into people that could maybe match your scope, but um, I'm refunding your deposit. So I refunded her deposit. So the, so I try to leave things that they can't come come back and come like after me do you know what I mean so I yeah. try to really leave with like a clean slate so that they leave still somewhat happy like she she got a full refund she can't be upset yeah. with the experience um so <clears throat> that was that case and she actually took it well she's like okay I appreciate like how you handled this and I wish you all the best and that was kind of it and I was like okay that's the best case scenario yeah. um yeah. I have had like some other, I don't know how, like how far to stories you want me to get, but I have had some other. Um, <laughs> go ahead. I've had some other crazy things happen. Like um, 
And these are far enough behind me. And obviously I won't say the names of clients and stuff like that, but there's uh, that. <clears throat> it's not what I'm working with right now. So, uh, and more, and most of them are at least two years in the past. So um, there was one, if they're close enough to the end of the project, uh, we kind of ride the rest of the project out. So there was one that we were very close to the end of the project and um, there was a lot of points in it that were kind of, that were sort of unenjoyable, but I was like, this is, we're pretty deep into the project. Um, <clears throat> and so that's a kind of a judgment call that you have to make, like how far into the project are you willing to go before you cut ties with them? Um, in this case, we were pretty far and we're at least like two thirds the way through of the project coming up to launch within about a month or so. And, um, the client emailed. So there was a few people on the emails. Like there was the designer, myself, the client's assistant and the client. And you know, we send out an email, basically I just start typing people's names into the two area to hook everyone into the same thread. Yeah. Um, she lost her mind because her name wasn't first in the, like when I went to go put it in. Yeah. <laughs> canceled all canceled our upcoming meetings um and had like a breakdown about it obviously it wasn't about the email like there was obviously something else <laughs> yeah. going on it's never about the email but <clears throat> I was like what's that she and then she disappeared for about a month after that uh just like a very volatile situation uh ultimately we ended up launching but it definitely was one of those experiences where where I was like oh it's uh I should, if I, if it was earlier in the process, we could have sort of figured something out. Um, but <clears throat> there does come, and this is like a, comes on a case by case basis. I feel like there does come a point of the, a point in the project where it's like either you lose money, like you'll lose final payment or whatever, hand over the files and just like break away and that's it. Um, or you make things amicable enough to, complete the project. Um, I've generally done the latter. I don't, if we're more, if we're up to like halfway through the project, I've never canceled it if we're that far in. Um, and then over time I've gotten better with recognizing upfront if it's not, if it's not a good fit or not as well too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah. guess that's experience, right? That just comes, that's, that's the more you do it, the more you're going to pick up the red flags or the signs or, you know, understand who you're going to work well with and who you're not going to work well with. Yeah, for sure. I think there's some like definite, there's some definite red flags that are sort of, there's like some subjective red flags that I personally like and don't like and don't like to work with. But I would also say that there's some like objective red flags that you should definitely, you should definitely avoid too. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the top, the top ones, but if someone, um, if, so in my opinion, prices shouldn't be negotiable. So if you send out a proposal, uh, and someone says, like, asks you to lower the price, my suggestion is if you want to lower the price, you can, but also remove features at the same time. So say like, okay, we can do it for this much less, but we can't include this. We can't include this. And we can't include this. Sure. Um, and then that at least makes things as a still keeps things a proportional value for you, but allows the client to, um, to pay less money and potentially move these things into another phase. So, but if a client requests that all the features are kept in, but the price gets reduced, um, I would drop them immediately because in my experience, they will keep asking. They'll keep asking for more and more and more. Like they'll continue to push the limits of what they can get for a lower price. So, that is like a, a definite red flag for sure. If they're, if they're fighting about the price up front. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of some other, some other red flags. Uh, constant reassurance seems to be like a red flag. I don't know if that, if that makes sense. But okay. Like, yeah. Like if they, uh, I don't know, a lot of the times there are clients who are like, I don't know, should I do this? Like, should I go this business route? Should I do this? Should we do this with the site? Which is great. Like always ask those questions. Yeah. But there is a point where 
like this is ultimately their business and they need a vision for that. Um, because if you advise them too deep into their business and all of a sudden they're, um, online course doesn't sell or they're like, then they kind of come back to you. They're like, well, you built it. And I'm like, yeah, but this is your business. So just be being very clear about what your, about what your role is and staying away from, I try to, I try to stay with people who are very clear on their plan and very clear on the end result and stay away from clients that need constant reassurance. Um, the other thing I found with uh, clients need constant reassurance is they never want to launch. It's like a very strange phenomenon, uh, which I, I never thought it would happen, but, and it's something I never actually heard of before I started freelancing. It's very, it was very strange when it first started happening. Now it's uh, now I kind of call them out on it. Cause what happens <laughs> is like, we'll get so close to launch. And then, and I know close to launch, there is always like all these like little edits. So there's always, always little things like, um, Oh, the text here is a little bit too big on mobile. And like, there's always these little things, but then it comes to a point where they're like, no, let's change. Like we've reviewed everything. Everything's been tested. They're good to go. And then it's always right before we're about to launch. They're like, no, I think this color should be different. Hold off. Let's wait till next week. I can't. I had a client tell me that we couldn't launch during Mer when Mercury was in retrograde. Uh, I can't, I can't. So we had to wait another two weeks to launch. And then, oh, and I felt, and after a while, I was like, what is this very strange, like psychological thing that happens right before launch? And I think it's because like, fear like they have their own fear of it not working or fear of putting it out there and yeah. I think consciously they don't even realize it and then that gets projected onto you so clients I find that happens that the ones that need constant reassurance there's this there can be this weird thing around launch time where you're like no we have to launch like we need to launch now yeah. that was the whole point <laughs> yeah this is what we've been doing for the last eight months yeah. but this is where we're at we got to go forward but they get a lot of people, yeah, I get cold feet. It's so, it's so crazy. I'm like, you spent so much time and money on this. Like, don't you want to get it out there? But there's, I don't know. I think there's like, for some reason, clients, there's a comfort in the process because it's something they have control over. But as soon as it, this gets released sort of into the world, you're sort of kind of relinquishing control to a certain degree. And then, yeah, I had a, I had a client asked to push the launch a few weeks because mercury was going into retrograde i was like no sorry <laughs> i can't work my entire <laughs> technological schedule around that because i would never be when i go on vacation every time mercury goes into <laughs> retrograde because i can't work yes <laughs> all the things you could have put in the world that's what they went with yeah <laughs> That's amazing. That's literally saying, I just, I'm just too scared or I don't, I don't want to do it. I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah. Big time. Uh, such a weird phenomenon. So if you notice that happening, I would definitely, you can call them out and be like, look, putting your stuff out there is super scary, but we have like, this is why we did this. And some, a lot of times right before launch, you have to give them a pep talk, which I had never anticipated before. <laughs> yeah. Do you find we just kind of just like become the right hand man kind of thing as in like everything that comes up it's it has to pass through you yeah so that brings up like something really interesting too is like what happens when you're so immersed in this person with like daily interaction and constant like throwing ideas back and forth and you usually have to dig pretty deep into their business and ultimately their life as well too if it's if they're like a small business owner so a lot of times it comes up as like how what's the transition after that like what's the transition after launch do you just kind of like throw them out the nest and then yeah. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's been interesting to kind of have to figure out over the years as well, too, because I love creating these things, but I don't love doing sort of the maintenance that comes afterwards. So I think that's why it's important to, again, like surround yourself with people who have complementary skills. So a lot of the times um, a couple of things will happen. They can either come on if it's a bigger site, they can come on um, 
come on with me as a, uh, like as a retainer client after that to do like constant updates and maintenance. The idea is for them to be like the sites are built so that they can generally do these things themselves. But some people just, they have the money and they would prefer just to keep someone on, which is fine. Um, the alternative is, uh, I really, I highly, highly recommend during the process that they hire an assistant close to the end. And then I'm usually happy to train, um, that assistant for an hour or two, and then provide them with like training documentation at the end as well, so that that person can take on sort of the updates and everything going forward. But it's definitely like a, um, like a mini sort of separation at the end. We usually have a, like a call, there's like congratulations emails going back and forth. And then, um, yeah, it is an interesting, like on the relationship level, it's a, it's a, it's a weird dynamic for sure. You're kind of just like pop in, you go like really deep into their life and then you kind of get out of there. So. Yeah. Cause you must work with them for like a long, long time. Cause I guess some freelancers only, depending on obviously what you do, you, you could only be in there for like hours or days, but you mm. work with these people for months and months, right? Yeah, because usually they're bigger projects. So we're usually in there for a few months. And then if they go on retainer after that, um, sometimes like there's been clients where it's been a few years. So there's definitely, and I guess, yeah, that circles back kind of to your other question too. Like there's parts during the process that if you have to get rid of a client, then you can do. But then like what happens if you're in a long-term relationship with them, ultimately. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah, you have to uh, you break up with them, which is like, <laughs> it's never fun. It's like always, always a little bit awkward. Um, but the awkward thing about it is like, can you break up with them and like also find them a new partner at the same time? <laughs> so there's that yeah. kind of a weird dynamic. Um, yeah, so... But just know it's not because you were hired to do the job. So ultimately, it's not your responsibility to have to bring in someone else. I would say if it's a client you care about and like it's nice courtesy to to say like, hey, I'm leaving because I'm either not working with this technology anymore or I'm not doing retainers anymore or I'm not. Um, and these are all valid reasons or I've like pivoted my business. So any of these reasons and they could all be true. Uh, you could tell to your client, but you, and you can always say to them like, but if you're willing to bring someone on as a replacement, I can spend the next month or so sort of working alongside them and then, and train them. Um, by no reason, by no way are you obligated to, to do that because uh, being a contract worker, you don't have to give notice. Um, so definitely don't feel obligated to do it. I think with the very least, I would leave clients with like a full, uh, full scope of documentation to to use everything with, which is usually built when it when launch is done, anyways. Um, but for the not only for the clients, like if there is separation after a long period of time, not only is it beneficial beneficial for the clients to have this sort of person come in and seamlessly take over, but I think it's more for me than anything else because I don't want to get a million emails after I've already left of like, wait, how do I do this? Where do I find documents for that? Like, so I would much rather spend the time being like, okay, let's bring someone else on. They can get familiar. And then once I'm gone, I'm gone. So. Yeah. It's a clean breakup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. But I definitely like honesty is the best policy. And you can always, you can always tell them about like, a, like a nice version of the truth because if you ultimately if you grow to a point where you just don't like them I mean don't say that but you can say like uh it's just not it's not supporting there's no growth in this role I want to I've like I'm looking to expand I'm looking to change directions um I'm looking to totally pivot my business there's so many things that you can say that are that are totally reasonable as well yeah 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 no that that makes a lot of sense um, so I guess in terms of one of the other things that you just mentioned is, is like pricing. So if mm. you're maybe starting out or actually you're already starting, how do you approach pricing? So so perhaps if you're new and also maybe if you want to kind of step up those two approaches, what and I guess obviously it's going to be dependent on what you're freelancing in, but what are kind of the things that you need to consider? Mm -hmm. So there are a few different ways to go about it. There's um, 
there's an hourly rate that you can go about it. Uh, probably not the best suggestion. There's pros and cons to all of them. Hourly rate is not the best suggestion, especially for long-term. Uh, it's difficult to get out of. Like It's difficult if you've been working with a client for a while to get out of uh, working hourly for them and kind of make a changeover. So it's hard if you start in hourly to make that change over to sort of break out of hourly. Um, again, if you're just starting off and that's the best way for you to like mentally manage your finances, then for the first little while, like for the first little while I did hourly, I don't anymore. And it's, it can be a transition for sure. Um, and it can take some explanations to sort of get clients out of that mindset if you're keeping the same clients, but also moving out of hourly, but hourly is out there. Like it's one way to do it. Another way is to like, not necessarily based on hours, but set, um, like set amount of time. So say like retainers, a lot of time will work that way. It's like, oh, well, if your retainer is like a thousand dollars a month up to a certain amount of hours and you can't carry over until like, you can't carry them over until the next month. So that's, I mean, it's sort of hourly. You're not committing to, um, just trading dollars for hours, but at least you're reserving them the time and you give them peace of mind, um, <clears throat> for a standard rate, they know it's not going to go above that rate. So they know, they know you're kind of there and you have like, you're able to support them. So that's kind of the benefits of, uh, and it's recurring revenue for you, which is good. So there's the benefits of like retainer. And then there's like the one-time project fees, which is how I typically charge. So a project is like scoped out top to bottom. You come up with a price, and then um, you charge them some installments or the whole amount of that price, installments over time or the whole amount of that price as well. So those are like generally the different frameworks. There's variations of that too. So you can charge like by week. So if there's a project that you're pretty confident to take like four weeks and they have like a four week deadline, um, you can say to them like, okay, we can do all this within the next four weeks, but it's going to be like a thousand dollars a week or however, however long like to get to that uh, timeline. So it depends on the client's goals as well, too. As far as like how much that's probably this is probably the biggest question that I get. How much do yeah. I charge people? So yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the question. That's the question that I, I can't give an answer to because I don't know who you're charging, yeah. but we're gonna but we will try to get there because I know it's frustrating also when people don't give an answer. It's always frustrating when there's this like mealy mouth way of talking around it and not actually addressing the actual question the answer is always it depends is what i've come to the conclusion yeah of. the answer is always it depends right. but yeah. we'll try to go through like some some things to think about definitely when you're pricing so when you're pricing the questions kind of to ask yourself is is it just you or do you have a staff or anything like that you have to support um let's for this case say that it's that it's just you yeah. um if we are talking with freelancers so it's just you. Okay, no problem. So we need to cover your, um, we need to cover all your expenses. Um, so there's a few different ways of doing this. You can price product projects by, um, like your income. You can ultimately, I think the, the answer ends up being so vague is because you can, you can charge whatever you want to whoever you want. Uh, whether they're going to pay it is a different question, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's, when why things become vague when you ask this question but what you can do is you can say like I want to make next year in freelancing I want to make $80,000 a year and then we're going to divide that up and then we're going to divide that up it's like how much do I need to make per month and then we divide that up and then how much we make per month and then you have to ask yourself why why $80,000 a year okay because we're used to hearing things like oh $80,000 a year salary but then we also have to take into other considerations too because not only are you going to be taxed on that and it's also going to depend too like what you're being taxed on like where you live uh and how your business is set up so are you set up as a sole proprietor are you set up as a uh as a corporation because those are taxed at different levels as well too uh, also consider that when you work at a job, say you make $80,000 a year, you have everything given to you. So not only do you work, do you have two weeks of vacation, I'm talking in like standard generic terms, but let's say you have two to three weeks vacation, you go into your job, there's a chair that you didn't pay for, there's a computer that you didn't pay for, there's a building and building maintenance that you didn't pay for, there's all this stuff that now you have to pay for when you're self employed. So 
is $80,000 not only going to match a salary, but is it going to take care of all of those kind of expenses and software as well? So if there's like totally depending on what you're doing, but you're going to need like some sort of like basic bookkeeping software and invoicing software, stuff like that. So the question then becomes is like, <clears throat> is, is the amount of money that you want to make, does that cover all of your expenses? And does it cover your lifestyle? So someone who lives in um, like downtown London might charge a lot more than someone who lives out in like Timmins, Ontario, because the cost of living is also different there too. So there's, there are so many factors that go into that. But if we carry across this analogy, this like $80,000 a year analogy, so we have expenses, we have tax, we don't really know what tax is coming out of that because we really know how it's set up. If you're set up as um, in Canada, like a sole proprietor, you're taxed the same as basically what a salary would be taxed. So okay. you're so you're taxed at that, like corporations, it's a little bit less than stuff too. But if you're taxed at that, and then you have expenses that come out of it too. But also keep in mind that you're running a business. The goal is for you to grow. It's not to just survive one year after the other. So not only from this, let's say $80,000, are you paying yourself, but every business needs to be profitable. And what profit is, is like after all of your expenses, what's left at the end of the day. And if you want to walk away with an $80,000 salary, then you, then you need to aim for a hundred thousand in sales. We're even without all the taxes and stuff like that, because we need to bank some profit for the business to be able to grow you can take that, you can invest it back into the business. But I find a lot of people, especially when it comes to hourly, forget about profit. They're like, I'll work for 50 bucks an hour. Seems high. Of course, it doesn't account for like all the non like task things that you have to do. But it also a lot of the times doesn't account for profit. So money over and above the money that you're just keeping to pay your bills and live your daily life, like you're growing a business. So you want to incorporate and make sure there's profit on top of that. So maybe that 80,000 then goes up to 100,000. Uh, then we have to go through, well, let's divide that by 12. And let's go through like, how many projects can I manage in this period of time? And start of like reverse engineer uh, your year. So that's definitely one way to do it to be like, how do we get to pricing? How do I know what I'm supposed to charge? And I think when you find that when you start to reverse engineer those things, you should be charging more than you are. So, uh -huh. so I think that tip, it typically does come down to that. But there's, and I think that's why, like, these are all the reasons why a lot of times people say, well, it depends. And well, it's kind of vague because that is true because on top of even when you go down to like granularly, if you divide it into months and then you divide it into weeks, um, your weeks are not like 40 to 50 hours of uh, coding websites. Like there, there's tax is taxes in there. There's uh, client onboarding in there. There's um, education in there as well too. Like you not only want to, uh, serve clients, but you want to keep taking courses, especially if you're in a field in te like technology where things are constantly changing to be able to take courses and to be able to up level your knowledge so that you can keep that cycle going, which means that you can support and uh, empower your clients more with this knowledge that you've brought in. And so that you can up level your skills to be able to charge much more money to educate yourself more to charge more money to educate yourself like, so it yeah. does keep going um, in this cycle too. And then there's also this sort of unspoken value on um, uh, on experience as well. So it's not just the courses that you've taken, but it's what have you experienced like anecdotally, like that's also worth something as well. Yeah. So there's so so many different factors that go into it. But I would say starting off with like an annual goal, starting to reverse engineer things down, and it's not going to be perfect, because you're going to think like, oh, I took on this project, it's more money, it's more time than I realized, I didn't charge enough for it. There's so many of those that you won't know until after the fact. But all you can do is keep like learning from those projects, increasing your price, learning from this project, increasing price. Sometimes it's like that project was way too easy and I was able to charge a lot of money for it. 
that is not the standard, I would say. It's, yeah, it's, usually, it's usually the opposite. It's usually like, oh, this grew to a point where it was a lot bigger than I realized and I didn't charge yeah. enough money. So I would always say <clears throat> that's a good way of like reverse engineering stuff. And then once you do reverse engineer it down to that level, and you can say like, okay, I want to work, I want eight projects a year. If they're like quantum longer term projects, I want eight projects a year. Um, say you want to go for like an $80,000 salary or $80,000 um, like income. Yeah. Uh, so that means there have to be like $10,000 each. And then uh, I would say if that's the number that you come down to, and I'm just using numbers as examples, but if that's the number you come down to, um, add another like 20, 30 to 20 to 30% onto that when you're scoping out projects. Because um, <clears throat> then of course, taxes and profits and all of that kind of stuff as well, too, that we always forget about. Um, that's probably the closest I can get to suggesting pricing. Um, because it's so hard, because it's so project dependent, it's so location dependent, lifestyle dependent, um, dependent on like clients and your ability to, to work and what kind of time you need off and all that kind of stuff as well, too. Yeah, that was actually a, a really interesting way of looking at it because I'd never, ever, ever thought of it like that. And, that. and now you've said it, it makes total sense to go backwards, but I'd be thinking, like, my initial thought was, oh, what do other people charge? Right, <laughs> Just, yeah. What they're doing or, you know, start low and keep going. But actually that makes way more sense because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know what you're aiming for that way mm -hmm. <laughs> and you build and you, up. Yeah, for sure. And you can go on places like Glassdoor and some other sites and see what the standard salaries are for uh like in your industry because i mean we can we can give sample numbers and stuff but you can go on and find some like actual numbers of your industry for and sites like glassdoor also um i know we're just kind of spitting out numbers but uh you do have to i would say within your first one to two years like be realistic. Of course, we would love to put goals of like, in my first year of freelancing, I would love to make $500,000. Like, yeah. yeah, of course, of course. But there's like, I do think that without sort of knowing the ropes, it's going to be harder to get there. So of course, we want to aim high. That's why I say like, look for something in like your in like the higher end of your range, be willing to uh, be willing to stretch yourself education wise, add 20 to 30% to every quote once you've come up with the number. And I think that's a good place to start to, to start to stretch your limits. After you've been doing it two years or so, then you're like, you know what, I've done this and I've made these goals of like 100 to 120,000. My next goal is 200, like my next big goal. And to, to start making those big like stepping stones and then really like hunker down to see like how can I get there who's making this kind of money like what are they doing do I need to like diversify into like more streams can I make some like passive income products can I do like paid appearances or or whatever it is so yeah getting creative with like getting to that number but also having having some numbers in mind for sure yeah and actually that, that education piece is also very interesting and very valid because again, not some not something that I would have thought of naturally, but you're right, you need to keep on top of it, right? That's mm. that's you investing <laughs> back into the business. So let's not forget that. Yeah, totally. You're so wise. <laughs> <laughs> just oh man. I have like a million more questions, but I've just seen the time and I'm like, how, how is that hour? Because I have like twenty thousand other questions. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not going to do that. Oh man! We can okay. always do like a part two. I'm always happy to. Happy yeah. To okay. Cool. Because sure. I, I'm like, ah, I'm not done. <laughs> I have more questions. Um. Yeah. Okay. They're they're not going to be short questions. So I'm not. <laughs> we might we might need a part two. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> oh man, this is amazing. Okay. Cool. Uh, just just to round off this one, do you want to let people know where they can find you and all this wonderful wisdom? Yeah, totally. Um, 
you can hear me pontificate. No, I'm just kidding. You can hear me. Um, my, my tweets are not nearly as succinct as, as interviews. So, but you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's Margrefell, M-A-R-G-R-E-F-F-E-L-L. Same on Twitter, same on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok. I mostly just watch. I don't really create, but I'm trying to be more... Uh, be more obvious on there uh, for a tip to you guys. I've seen, I've watched a few, this is like kind of a tangent, but uh, I've watched a few TikTok business accounts. And honestly, the growth has been exponential. The ones that I follow, like just business tips and freelancing tips and web development tips, like growing into the followers of hundreds of thousands. So if you guys are not on TikTok promoting yourself as a small business, then it's, uh, it's really a, a pretty good untapped resource, I would say. I should take my own advice as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's easier to give it out. Um, yeah. <laughs> so much easier. Yeah, no, TikTok is not one I ventured into. Um, uh, purely because when I did download it, I think I lost about a week of my life. Oh, um, yeah. And I don't, I don't know how because <laughs> they're all like five seconds. Yeah, um, totally. But it, it's, it's a black hole, that is. <laughs> it's dangerous. dangerous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure um you also have a youtube channel oh yes i also have a youtube channel um you can find me if you just put margrafel into the youtube search and i will come up uh it's business business and freelancing as well as shopify so i do a lot of shopify tutorials in there as well too hey guys me again just want to say thanks so much for listening to this episode of creators campfire you can stay up to date with any podcast-related news by following at JustBarves on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Otherwise, I'll be back next week, same time, same place, with a different guest. Be well, be kind, stay safe and stay curious. Bye guys!